Hello and welcome to the first episode this Trinity term of The Beacon, a podcast brought to you by Oxford International Relations Society. I am your host Zoe Hodge and this week we are taking an unusual approach to our investigations. Instead of looking at another country, we're turning the lens, or rather the microphone, onto our own university and how international relations play out within the Oxford bubble. First off, I interviewed some students who have come to Oxford from the USA as part of the one-year undergraduate visiting programme. We discussed in a Mansfield College kitchen what they thought about life and work at this university from their international perspective. Well, I chose to come here because I really liked the tutorials and stuff because I think that, especially in the United States, it's really easy to kind of fall between the cracks or fade back into the background in your classes. And being the nerd that I am, I really wanted to be able to kind of push myself and actually read all the books and do all the reading and write the papers, Hmm. which, I mean, I don't think I read a single book last year in the U.S. Because you... I mean, you go to class. You don't have to do You everything. don't. And then the teacher talks about the sections that they want you to know in the book. And I'm like, why would I read this book? Why did I pay $300 exactly. for this? So I wanted the education. And also, I am obsessed with Vulcan. It's different in a subtle way. And that's interesting to see it kind of like... Um, I mean, where, like, where you go to... Uh, I mean, when I spent time in China, it was just constant culture shock all the time. But here, it's more subtle to me. Audrey agrees with me. Oh, you said that too? Yeah. I cool. swear. You said there were parallels. Yeah, they're, they were similar. She's saying they're similar. I think they're definitely different, but I think maybe that's a lot due to, to the That's interesting, but, like, but the thing is, like, if you're going to say, oh, um, UK, USA, um, USA, China, then it is going to be different. But I think maybe if you're seeing it from the UK, then you see yourself as much closer to France than you ever would the US. Really? Yeah, that's yeah. the thing. Like, yeah, relative to, like, my... Place, I guess. Yeah, I was just saying that one of the reasons I came here is, is and also that sameness is due to um, the language. Yeah. Uh, so that that language can really influence a lot, I think, in, in things like that. It's easier to relate to people when they speak to your own language, in your own language. When I went to those other countries, I didn't speak those languages, and um, I'm not very good at Arabic yet to be able to study abroad in the Arabic mm-hmm. country. So. Um, I guess that was one of the main reasons I came in. Also because of Oxford, it has such an amazing reputation of... What is the perception of Oxford more generally like in the US? We see it really distantly. Like we see it, when we think of Oxford, we think, it's kind of, we think of these intellectuals who are different from everyone else, who are, you know, sequestered away in this little island of of scholarship but and it's really elite and it's still yeah like, very very elite like Oxford very elite. like the best university in the world it's like Harvard and Oxford also Cambridge Cambridge I Harvard. think Cambridge and Oxford are equal I mean yeah. I know there's a lot of controversy about that but I would say that both of them have a high reputation mm-hmm. and sometimes people would choose them people when they think Oxford is sometimes more impressive than going to an American university because it's distant you know because mm-hmm. um, you've been outside of the US I mean I guess, but it's like people that know less about it. It's more mysterious. How has your conception of Oxford changed from before you came here to now that you're here? I feel like people are more normal than I expected. (laughs) Like they don't spend all the time. I mean, they're not, their lives don't revolve entirely around their studies, which is sometimes the idea that you get when you think, did you guys get that vibe? Like when you think Oxford, it's just people are studying like, and that's all they care about in their their youth. You kind of think of that. Yeah, I was surprised. Yeah, I agree. I think people are very well-rounded here, or at least it seems that way. I think that the um, perception that 
people from Britain are very cold. Like the sort of like coldest Emotional, fish concept. Yeah. Like they're they're just like hard to get to know. Right. And I have found that to not really be totally true. Yeah. I mean I think maybe it's just we go to Mansfield, which is very open and accepting. But egalitarian. I think there's a a greater sense of acceptance than I thought that there would be. Yeah. Acceptance towards who though? Acceptance towards what? Towards the international students and towards a differentness. In the United States, the international students tend to kind of stick yeah. together and not really immerse themselves in the university and I don't feel that way here. Like I feel like everyone at the college is willing to have the international students be just as much a part of the university. If you could give sort of one great thing about Oxford and one like bad thing about Oxford as an international student, uh, from your perspective, what would you what would you say? Oh, there are a lot of great things to choose. Uh, one thing that, that's coming to mind right now, um, I, I really appreciate the the conversations that I've gotten to have at formal hall, and and just I guess a uh, um, dinner at Oxford in general in um, in the Mansfield dining hall. Um, in the U.S., I've generally found that. Uh, Dinner isn't really, people have very different schedules, I guess. Um, and so, you know, you might not always reliably be able to, to go to dinner with, with the same group of people um, every day. But I think that at Oxford, uh, because uh, the, the colleges are so central to life here, um, you can sort of rely on, on eating with similar people and um, you have these great conversations that could last, you know, hours on end uh and i guess that that's just sort of bound up in the the culture of intellectualism here uh and so yes and the informal hall too uh, i guess i don't know it's all tied to building community and that's something that i that i really appreciate i always find it kind of interesting going and finding these interesting traditions that are preserved in this place and wondering why because they all tell kind of a story even though some of them may seem totally irrational and like difficult to deal with but i mean it is interesting, I think. Maybe it's just that the country's a lot older, so the older traditions here seem more antiquated just because they are really old, yeah. whereas the U.S. is younger, so our traditions aren't as far removed from us. But I, I do know. like the formal hall traditions, like you talked about. Like, we don't have that really back in the States. Right. Where we can sit down with everyone. I think, as cliche as this sounds, the thing that I've most taken away from being here is um, to kind of be more brave. I've never been so hands-on in my education or in my social life than I have been here. Because you kind of have to. I mean, if you just fall back on, well, I've already been here for two years. Like, no, we haven't. So we can't just, like, float away. No one no one is afraid to, uh, to, to, you know, to talk about what they're interested in. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, no one's afraid to talk about their subject, to... Um, discuss at length what they're reading, um, what, what they've talked about with their tutor. Uh, everyone is uh, really open to having those those uh, conversations, and that's that's been really, really cool. I would say in the states, people were very um, consumed with getting the grade, whereas here, maybe people aren't aren't as as concerned about that. Next, I talked with Lyo London, a master student of history of art at Corpus. Lyo has recently got involved with the case of Gilbert Mutala Omware, who has paused a multitude of fascinating work in Kenya to pursue a master's here in comparative and international education. Three days into his course, Gilbert discovered that due to delays with arranging his visa, 
the company sponsoring him had withdrawn their funding. For the rest of this podcast, Elia and I discuss the case and the wider implications of being at Oxford as a person of colour and or as someone with an international background. I was just wondering like, how you just how you met Gilbert, how you knew about his case. Is he from, I understand he's at St Anthony's. Yeah. Um, which is where obviously a lot of like, postgrads and lots of international students go. Um, and it's a really fat college. But what, like, where did you meet him and had you been involved in like, this kind of political activism before? Yeah. Uh, so, um, I'll ask for this activism. No, like, I, I guess I was, more well, like most people, and it's not a bad thing, but very apathetic. So, you know, when you just going about my life doing my thing, which is perfectly normal and perfectly fine. Um, so this is the first thing that I've done, which has sort of been an act of resistance to something that I believed in so strongly. I mean, I have definitely been to protests, but it's not the same as, like, organising the protest or going to the meetings and staying committed. I was just more, like, if the moment called, so for example, I went to Black Lives Matter protests when I was in New York, but I never went to any of the organising meetings. I never took any act, more active role. So this whole thing is very, very new for me. Um, so Gilbert actually, it was, it was actually really kind of like beautiful, the whole story, because um, um, as like one of the few um, BMA people at Corpus, and like the only black um, graduate in my matriculation year, um, I had definitely felt that the atmosphere was, and it kind of is, not as comfortable as it could be, but like, you know, rather than just complain, I very much am a pragmatic person. And so um, I was working with the registrar and um, along with uh, Oriel and Merton to um, find ways of making the environment, college environments more amenable to BME students. So it's a tri-college committee. Can I ask like, um, so what, can you give me some sort of specifics of uh, how it's not amenable at the moment yeah, yeah. um yeah and like what you want to kind of improve about improve. it so i think like just in general um across the colleges the story has been told and we had our meeting and it was um quite revealing that several people had the same anecdote the very most basic thing of when you walk in and being stopped by porters and asked questions and things like that or um not having some things which particularly catered towards certain religions and there was a student on the committee who was talking about anti-semitic environments so um, that sort of thing. And yes, in some senses, they are minor things, but in some senses, they're also things that shouldn't be happening at all. So if there's any way to solve them, then, then that's what um, the committee is there for. But um, how this relates to Gilbert. So um, as part of the whole committee, I reached out to, to the internet. and was just like, oh, does anyone know anything and have any ideas and tips? And I met with someone from St. John and Gilbert also reached out and said, you know, I'm being the officer at St. Anthony's. Let's meet, let me give you some tips and things like we've done or things, ways in which you might want to um, approach this whole topic. <laughs> and so that's how we met, because he was being helpful in sharing his knowledge, which is kind of like what he does as someone who's very much interested in education. And so we met and we had a great time talking. And I said, you know what, why don't you come to Corpus? And there's a, we have a talk on most Fridays. So I was like, you can go to this talk, you can see the atmosphere for yourself, and that might um, give you more of a context to what we're trying to do here. And so Gilbert and I walked through the college, um, as you kind of did, through the porter's entrance, and um, I don't know if you showed your board card or not, but when we walked through, no one asked for a board card or anything, so we just kept walking. And so we made it to the middle of the quad, and then this porter rushes out from a door and stops us and is like, hi, can I help you? Um, basically asking, you know, what are you doing here? I don't remember the exact words, but he definitely said, hi, can I help you? And he wanted an explanation of some sort. So I kind of just looked at him and was like, I go to this college. I'm a student here. And then he was like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. 
and he sort of retreated and then um, I later brought up the incident along with Gilbert because we had we went on to go to the talk um, with a senior member of the college and he said that um, the porter suffered from a lack of imagination which I understand was meant in a sympathetic light but that sort of comment as a response to someone behaving in a way which I'm guessing is based on racial prejudice was just a bit bizarre and so Gilbert and I were both like Hmm. <laughs> this is a bizarre thing to say that um, a lack of imagination, which I, you know, you can interpret in many ways, and some of them are much kinder interpretations. Within the context of the person who said it did not mean it at all in a malicious way, they were trying to be helpful, but still, it's kind of revealing that that's the phrase that they chose because they thought it would be helpful. But anyway, so like you can see, Gilbert and I had from the very beginning, our relationship was one which kind of like lent itself to exposing aspects of the institution which were perhaps not the best Um, and then I think later on that weekend we both went to a church service and the vice chancellor was there and she gave a wonderful talk about her life and everything and afterwards she stayed behind to um, say goodbye to people which was very kind of her and it was there that Gilbert kind of shared his story with her because she was like asking you know who are you what's going on and her response was um, oh you know that's sad that's so unfortunate I think it was that moment, that particular moment, that I was just like, okay, I need to do something. But just seeing the vice chancellor of the university not even really suggest anything or offer any something more than just that's unfortunate, which again is fair enough. You know, it's fair enough to say that's that's bad because, like, you know, it's a normal response. But I just felt that I'd expect the head of an institution to do something more, particularly since Gilbert's case was just one of money. So the reason I wanted to speak with Lyo was because of a political act she undertook last term in aid of Gilbert. This was at an event held to induct the artist Jeff Coons as an honorary member of the Edgar Wind Society. At the question and answer session, Lyo stood up and gave a piece of performance art which I would describe as a verbal expression of her thoughts about being an international student like Gilbert at Oxford. What I can say is it made an impression and I wanted to know what motivated her to do this. So um, when I started the campaign, um, it was uh, Monday, Monday the 20th of February, and at that point in time, both Gilbert and I knew that either on Friday of that same week or next the next Monday, Monday the 27th, his visa cancellation would go ahead unless something changed. And so we had like literally just five days to make a difference. And so in my head, I imagined the whole thing as a sort of performance art piece because I knew that I sort of like personally, like every day Lyle did not have the ability to do what was needed, which is basically to be very overt and very clear and very bold in asking effectively strangers for the most part for money or even people from my class for money. I'm actually a member of the Edgar Hill Society and I, um, and I'm their college rep for Corpus Christi. So I had... You know, I knew this in advance, and I was excited, as anybody who studies art, or even is vaguely interested in the art world would be, because Jeff Koons is an incredibly important artist, and he's also quite controversial, because people tend to either love him or really, really dislike him. I, I don't really fall anywhere on that spectrum, I just find his art very interesting, and I was excited to meet him. But I also knew that I could use it as an opportunity to... Um, to do something, to push the campaign forward in a way that Gilbert and I hadn't really been able to do, because although we were getting donations, it we were not able to really generate the sort of amount of um, interest in the story as we kind of needed to, in order to make the whole amount, and the amount that we needed to raise was about £25,000. Um, and so on Thursday afternoon, I um, 
kind of thought about a way that I could incorporate um, Jeff Koons into the campaign. And so I felt that I was going to ask him a question and just ask him to donate in some sort of very exciting and creative way. However, at the evening, the night of the performance, that's not what happened. <laughs> so Jeff Koons had given this really great talk and he talked about art as life and performing art constantly and reaching out to people and collaborating. And so I think something in my brain just must have been like, okay, so that means he's game to whatever I do next. And so when he said, are there any questions? I raised my hand up and he selected me and I was very grateful for that because it enabled me to um, stand up and give a very spontaneous sort of poetic um, explanation of the campaign, which I do not remember because it was very much spur of the moment. And um, it allowed me to carry out certain key actions, which were to give Jeff Koons the um, information of Gilbert's battles or his college account details, and also to ask him to purchase this particular performance as part of um, as part of the fees. So basically, to pay the twenty five thousand pounds for the piece, and in doing so, give money to Gilbert. So it wasn't really a donation I was asking for; it was more for him to make a purchase. Um, I think that really encapsulates the whole way I saw Gilbert. I didn't really see him as a, someone who needed charity. I saw him as someone who needed investment because um, of what he wanted to do or wants to do with his education in terms of going back to Kenya and continuing educating um, young Kenyans through work that he already does through um, his social enterprises. So that was what the whole Jeff Coons thing was about. And um, in another light, it was also a big publicity stunt. I needed to get buzz about the campaign. I needed to let people know who Gilbert was. And I basically used Jeff Coons to do that. I think that it's, it's still something that I'm working through and like writing about and thinking about, but it was a lot of things. So it was very political in the sense that ultimately the government, I know that it goes for the, his college and then the university and then the government make a decision about the visa like it's a, a, a very much tied to um the government and there's also a political situation right now about immigration about visas about eu residents not really being sure about their status that is kind of a political debate here we go on to the different experiences between home and international students from the undergraduate versus postgraduate worlds to the role of societies at oxford and finally to carving out one's own place to inhabit amongst the dreaming spires the reason why I wanted to do this specific podcast is because you talk about things like called the Oxford bubble, right? Yes. You get very isolated here. Um, it's very intense. It has its own little microcosm of the world. And you can get about the rest of the world, which is funny because if you're part of um, Oxford International Relations Society, you try to sort of look outside of the Oxford bubble. Um, and I'm just thinking about um, Oxford actually has almost always been like this, very introverted, but having effects on a lot of the world. Um, I'm, of course, talking about its imperial past. Um, it's been a sort of centre of world domination in the sense that all British politicos have been through here and um, it's something that I've always really wanted to sort of bring up and talk about because it makes me feel uncomfortable within my own university. I don't want to feel uncomfortable within my university. But it's also the international aspect yes. as well, which I think is really important in the sense you said the Africa Society. Is that the... Um, yes, so the Africa Society. So people sort of that were from that continent, which is obviously vast, but yeah. like, whether they're from Kenya or Nigeria yeah. or wherever, um, they were helping somebody from their continent. Yeah, I think yeah. that's an interesting thing in terms of you have to source your support from the place in the world that you are. Yeah. In the sense yeah. that even though like there's a lot um, Africa versus like the UK, there's going to be more yeah. commonalities. Um, so, I mean, I'm white and I'm from Britain. Yeah. And I'm just thinking 
just what you're saying was really interesting to me, just as a contrast comparison. I guess I've actually, because I come from um, a family that doesn't have a stable income, I've been helped out a lot by this university. I very much feel like this university is on my side. Yes. I think that's really just interesting because it's completely different how Gilbert, yes. and it might be something to do with also graduate yes. and undergraduate, might yeah. be different. But for me, I remember, you know, it, it alters very much that you, you, know, you become part of the family. I've never felt that if I have financial difficulties, I can ask someone. I always feel like there's an obligation there because it's a relationship, isn't yes. it? It's not contractual, it's an educational relationship. I think the university cares. I think when you have, for the most part, when you have conversations one-on-one with some members of the administration, when I have had those conversations, there have been very positive indications. And a true commitment has been stated to change. Now, I don't know if that commitment will be followed through, but there definitely is a desire to improve things. Um, obviously, all of the things in terms of it being, having an imperial past to a certain extent there can never really be true healing or recovery from that but I feel like we're in this moment now and there are students who are not having great experience um there are students who are perhaps struggling as in in Gilbert's case which could happen to any international student with some funding things I'm not saying that the university should like give money out to everybody but I feel that they need to be a bit more creative and actually more intelligent about how they treat students, particularly those who are not British, because British and EU students are protected to a certain extent, but um, if you're not from um, Britain and the EU, you kind of don't, you need some special kinds of support. And I don't know that the university is catering towards that. And I really felt that in this situation, they basically treated Gilbert like um, someone who was worth 26 or 5,000, however much it was, um, rather than seeing him, valuing him, as you kind of said, education is not, this sort of very transactional thing it's it's different so yes he should absolutely pay for his education no one's denying that but i think the way you get the money from the person the way you treat the person the way you look at the situation of particularly an international student perhaps needs a bit more like empathy do you think the international students are seen as more sort of not expendable but more like transactional in the sense that because i would have thought that maybe for undergraduate level whether this is good or bad you know thought maybe for undergraduate level but the graduate level, kind of the real work, if you like. Um, <laughs> I, I sort of would have thought that th- there's going to be far more international students, naturally, because when you kind of graduate, yeah. often you want to go abroad. Um, so there's going to be more international students in a graduate's level, and therefore there would be more of an ingrad- uh, international focus of the university. Yeah. Do you find that's the case, or is that not the case? Um, I don't think it's just Oxford, but I think most stu- universities treat international students as cash cows. Um, they get a lot of money from them, and so it's not, you know, in my mind, it's not um, unreasonable for them to see Gilbert as just a money-making instrument for them, and when he did not make that money, to then perhaps not give him the support that he needed. No, they actually, it's not perhaps. They didn't give him the support he needed. Um, <laughs> they, they should have really assigned someone, at least a welfare officer, if anything, just to make sure that he was, like, you know, emotionally and everything okay. Um, and he's, like, an incredibly strong person, so um, I'm not saying that he's 100% okay, because I don't think anyone who's been through that situation can be, but he's he's still here, and he's still, he's still going. But, yeah, I think, I don't think international students are um, perhaps treated in a way which sees them as like educational 
things. There's a there's an understanding that you know we'll usually stay in this country and help to build up this country because you know notoriously Oxbridge graduates kind of populate every single sphere of public life and life in general. Um, so maybe there is that kind of implicit investment which is given to us as like British and EU students that international students don't have because you know there's expectation that they probably will go to their home countries and do that for their home countries but not necessarily for the for the UK. But um, I really do feel like there is something about like being a British student going to Oxford because there is kind of like this implicit thing that you will go on to be like the next generation of whatever but whatever it is you'll be the next generation of the best of the best like you know it, it kind of Oxford has this not just again, Oxford and Cambridge you know it's kind of like the best of a generation whole idea about it and that's why I feel sometimes British students are treated specially in a way like I, I just has nothing to do with like colour and class it's just like this thing that you know we're British and this is the best university in our country and we if we stay in our country we are kind of expected in a sort of way that's not really verbalized to go on to rule the country in some way which literally happens but there is this expectation that you will do the best because you've been given allegedly the best education that the world has to offer now i don't necessarily believe that but i definitely think that there is this expectation in students and I don't feel like the same thing exists for international students, so that's perhaps why it is more transactional and less mm-hmm. all of this sort of like, I don't know, lofty ideals that I keep like projecting onto the university because they might not care at all, but I think they do. <laughs> Societies like the Africa Society are really important because like when you come to Oxford and I remember during matriculation, this guy comes up to me and he was like, oh, I'm so happy to see you. Cause I was like, I thought I was the only black person. And I turned to him, I'm like, you know, no, there are more of us, don't worry, you're not the only one. <laughs> um, so Africa society is like, literally you get there and you're just like, okay, this is where everyone's been hiding. Um, and it's kind of like a joke that we have with each other. Um, but I think you will find most um, people, whether they're, you know, they might not even be, pro- they might be Afro-Caribbean or whatever. If they are black, they're more likely to like, first thing, where's the African society at Oxford? Because it's where you feel a place of solidarity. But that being said, anyone can join in with the events and anyone can go through their political processes to join the committee if you really want to do that. Um, or you can just go to the Afrobop, which many people did who are not African at all and probably would be like the first people to say, I don't know anything about Africa, but you can still join in the celebration and stuff. I guess when you come here, um, like I came with a very open mind, like of course you know you read, you know, Oxford's racist, all this stuff. Yeah, probably, but like I'm always gonna give someone or something a chance. And um, yeah, let's just say I found my way to the African society or at least the Afro-Caribbean society, which is more for undergraduates very quickly. And I guess the reason is this, um, sometimes you feel as if your experience is not really understood and it's very difficult to sort of talk about certain things with people who are not experiencing them because they just fundamentally can never really get it because they don't experience it. Um, so going to those societies are like a place of solidarity because you can share experiences and you can kind of see that you're not insane, that yes, people do look at you when you walk into a room because it happens to other people, that yes, you know, you do have to explain to your professor sometimes why using certain words or why certain things could be interpreted as racist. Or yes, you do kind of have to tell people that it's not okay to do certain things, I don't know, like touch your hair or make certain comments. Like it's a place where that is understood. I'm not saying that people who are not experiencing can't understand it, but you know, it's just easier. 
I remember just like going through the world thinking, yeah, I'm just me myself. And then you kind of realize, oh, some people think certain things because you're a woman and some people think certain things because you're black. And then you kind of have this decision point where you're like, am I going to take that on or am I going to reject it? And I just reject it. But Oxford is very difficult because like, it's like you kind of have to reject it a lot, <laughs> more so than other places I've been. Oxford has its traditions and these are Oxford traditions and they the ground is literally seeped in Oxford traditions whereas Abu Dhabi and even New York and even London there's a sense in which you can kind of exist however you want and the city's kind of like what you want it to be like no Oxford resists <laughs> at all attempts to, to, to for it to be different and um I'm resisting back now I feel and I feel like now I'm having I know I actually like being here like before when I was just like okay I'm just going to be it's so traditional I have to put on my stuff first and all that stuff but now I'm actually resisting which is so much more fun so now I feel like I'm engaged in a dialogue with the space that I wasn't before and I think really the whole Gilbert thing allowed me to do that. And with this last thought we thank you very much for listening to this podcast of The Beacon. If you want to share your thoughts on this topic, we are accepting submissions to our blog at oxirsoc.com. Thank you to all of our interviewees and to podcastthemes.com for our intro and outro music. Thank you and goodbye.